Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The sun sets on a quiet suburban street and we see a sleek black car glide into view. It's a car that looks unlike anything else on the roads. The car's driver, a high-tech crime fighter who doesn't technically exist, sits calmly behind the wheel. His focus solely on the mission at hand. Suddenly, the car's computerized voice comes to life, alerting him of a new lead in their pursuit of justice. The two of them are an unlikely crime-fighting duo, but with a steely determination, he revs the engine and takes off, ready for another thrilling adventure with his technological companion. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dressed, consumed, and connected. And today, I look back on the iconic 1980s TV show that combined action and technology, captured the hearts of audiences around the world, and cemented its place in pop culture history. This is the story of Knight Rider. As a kid, there aren't too many other things that captured my mind more than Knight Rider. The look, the tone, the music, and of course, the car made this show a defining part of the decade. Let's look back on all the action, technology, and history behind one of the most beloved shows of the 80s. So, what was the essence of this show? What was the story and plot of Knight Rider that got us so invested? Here's a summary if you needed a quick plot refresher. Wilton Knight, played by Richard Basehart, who also provided the iconic opening narration, is a self-made billionaire and founder of Knight Industries. One day, he rescues a detective named Michael Arthur Long. Long had been shot in the face, and Knight fixes him up with some plastic surgery and gives him a new name, Michael Knight, who, of course, was played by David Hasselhoff. Fun fact, also up for the role of Michael Knight was Don Johnson, but he would opt to appear in another 80s classic, Miami Vice. Wilton chooses Michael to be his primary field agent in a new organization he's developed called FLAG, which stands for Foundation for Law and Government. FLAG was designed as a public organization for justice. They were crime fighters doing the work the police couldn't or wouldn't. Sort of a vigilante type organization, but with more leather pants. 
The other half of the flag program includes an artificial intelligence-based black sports car that not only featured AI, but was completely controlled by a computer. This seemingly indestructible car is called KIT, which stands for Knight Industries 2000. KIT is the epitome of technological innovation, is extremely durable, and can even talk. Basically, Siri in a Trans Am body. All these weird gadgets, you think they'd give you a radio. What would you like to hear? What the hell was that? Do you wish further information on Silicon Valley? Hell no, I want to know who you are and how you're listening in. There's no reason for increased volume. I am scanning your interrogatives quite satisfactorily. I am the voice of Knight Industry 2000's microprocessor, K-I-T-T for easy reference, a kit if you prefer. The plan with Flag is for Kit and Michael Knight to team up when action was the only possible solution. And Kit's primary objective, through its programming, is to protect human life. Flag is run by Devin Miles, played by Edward Mulhair, who gives out the assignments to Michael. There is also Dr. Bonnie Barstow, first played by Patricia McPherson, who is the technical assistant to Miles, but also chief engineer for Kit. You may notice a bit of James Bond to all of this. Knight Rider was created and developed by Glenn A. Larson for NBC. We now know how NBC would become a network giant in the coming years, but at this point in the early 80s, it was pretty much crickets. They needed something to make a dent against ABC and CBS, and that meant bringing in Larson. Larson had been involved in many standout shows and movies, including things like Magnum P.I., Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, The Fall Guy, Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica, The Hardy Boys Nancy Drew Mysteries, and The Six Million Dollar Man. Larson was great at creating small screen versions of things that seem like big blockbuster movies. Larson had one more project to do for Universal before leaving for a new network called Fox. And he was approached about making a show based on a car. For the new project, Larson used several things for inspiration, including the Lone Ranger. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hyo Silver. The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger is the story of an outlaw who would ride across the countryside trying to prevent crimes with his trusty steed named Silver. What about using this Lone Ranger premise, but with a car? Knight Rider would partly be a modern retelling of this classic narrative, but the crime-fighting hero has a car instead of a horse. But then, Knight Rider also looks to have roots in a short-lived series called BJ and the Bear. BJ and the Bear was a show about a trucker and his pet chimpanzee who travel the American highways. Seriously, that was the show. It ran from 1979 to 1981 and features one episode where an overzealous police chief uses a state-of-the-art black police car to deter crime. Knight Rider followed a classic good versus evil formula, but Larson still incorporated aspects of some other films to create the structure of Knight Rider, including things like Al, the sentient robot from 2001 A Space Odyssey. But to make Knight Rider memorable, a pretty amazing car was needed, as it would basically be the supporting character on the show. 
but that car needed to stand out and be unforgettable. They went with the 1982 Pontiac Trans Am, an unquestionably cool car at the time. I once owned a very used 1990 Pontiac Firebird, gray with a faux red leather interior, and let me tell you, it wasn't exactly as cool as Kit. Originally, Kit was called TAT, which stood for Trans Am 2000. Not a bad name, but eventually, Night Industries 2000 or Kit stuck. Sounds like there wasn't much Kit for TAT. That joke's getting cut out. Kit took a lot of development and for the first two seasons was based on that F-bodied Pontiac Trans Am, but with several alterations to it. The Universal Prop Department changed some of the look of the plain Trans Am by adding an LED display on the front. The LED display was taken right from the scanner lights on the helmets of the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. The interior featured a curved and very futuristic looking dash display that looked right out of Star Wars. Kit also had TVs and a phone. However, in the early days, they didn't do a ton of alterations and kept the Trans Am relatively normal. But throughout this process, Pontiac apparently wasn't on board and didn't want any reference to the car being a Trans Am. However, multiple kits were needed on the show. Initially, four of them were used, each one requiring about 20 grand worth of modifications, and 16 would be used over the course of the series. Since Kit was a self-driving car, this took a lot of work from a production standpoint. Car designer George Barris was brought into orchestrate production and created future versions of Kit. Barris was one of the go-to choices in the world of television cars as he brought us the original Adam West Batmobile, the Munster Coach, and modified cars for Starsky and Hutch, the Dukes of Hazard, and even Jurassic Park. To make it look like Kit was driving itself, they created a driving position that was on the right side of the car but lowered down below the dashboard. The stunt driver had to get in on the passenger side and sat on a special seat so they wouldn't be picked up by camera. Barris helped to orchestrate the driving scenes along with the filming to make sure that the driver would never be detected. The driver still needed to see where they were going, so this is where the editing of Knight Rider played a pivotal role in the show. But the look and functionality of Kit were just part of the equation. Since this was a sentient car, it needed a voice, literally and figuratively. But which way do you go with this? Do you keep the voice generally robotic, which would seem to be the default approach of a talking car? Or do you give, what is basically a supporting character, an actual personality? The original plan for the voice of Kit was to go the robotic route with a synthesized effect added to it. After all, this is how a machine would communicate with people. But it was when they met with actor William Daniels that the direction for Kit changed. Daniels, who would of course go on to play Mr. Feeney on Boy Meets World, believed Kit should have more of a personality as it was essentially a sidekick character. Sidekick characters are often in the vein of comic relief and even though the creators didn't want to go that far, the car and actor should be able to play off each other. Kit didn't need to be wacky like Johnny Five from Short Circuit, but should still be expressive and amusing. After all, Kit wasn't just a sidekick, but a partner, and 
Creating a distinct personality was imperative for the audience to know this was an actual, thoughtful, and insightful machine. How are we doing? You just asked me that. We're getting closer. The signal is progressively stronger. Good. When we get close enough, I want you to triangulate the source. Convert the impulse into a visual. We should be close enough now. All right, let's find out. The early seasons and shows did have a bit more of that robotic tone to the voice of Kit, but nothing like they originally intended. This allowed for some personality to develop, which Daniels had been slowly incorporating into his performance. Eventually, Daniels was able to give a character-driven performance, allowing Kit to be more expressive and even charming. This was all key to bringing Kit to life. One interesting thing regarding Daniel's voice performance, he was never credited with providing the voice of Kit throughout the entire run of the series. This wasn't an oversight, but there was apparently the idea that the creators of the show and Daniels himself wanted the public to believe they had created a machine-generated voice for the car. They didn't want people to necessarily know they were hearing a classically trained voice actor, but an amazing advancement in voice technology. Daniels wasn't super well-known yet, and without the internet or IMDb, many would think this was a genuine computer-generated voice. This is similar to the creation of the Max Headroom character, which I have a previous episode all about if you want to go back and check that out after. The character of Max Headroom was intended as a robotic, cyborg-like artificial creation. But even though Max Headroom appeared robotic, there was nothing mechanical about the character. Max Headroom was performed by Matt Frewer, and the look and effects were all done practically. But the creators of Max Headroom were okay with letting the public into thinking this was a genuine robotic character. The 1980s were a time of great technological change, and when the computer became more important in our lives, everything about this show was meant to feel futuristic and a reflection of this new computer age. And... That included something as simple as the essence of the voice of the car. This isn't too far removed from Steve Jobs being adamant that the Macintosh computer should be able to talk and audibly say hello when it was first unveiled to the world in 1984. The idea behind these things, Apple computers, Max Headroom, and Knight Rider was we were meant to feel like we were living in the future. And one interesting thing about William Daniels and Knight Rider is that he and star David Hasselhoff apparently never got to meet face to face till the Christmas party of the first year. Daniels didn't need to physically be on set and would normally record all his dialogue in an hour or less. He would get the script, read out the lines that were spoken by Hasselhoff, then answer them as Kit. Things were starting to come together. They had the direction of the show, they had the actor, they had the car, and they had the voice. But there was one more key piece of the puzzle that helped to make Knight Rider one of the most iconic shows of all time. Everything 80s will return after these messages. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like any good 1980s TV show, Knight Rider needed an iconic opening and specifically an iconic theme song to really establish it. Knight Rider, a shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man. To a kid like me in the 80s, the theme song for Knight Rider was one of the coolest things imaginable. But the interesting story behind it is that it's not entirely an original theme. The Knight Rider theme was composed by Stu Phillips, who also did the music for Battlestar Galactica, The Amazing Spider-Man Show, The Six Million Dollar Man, and also made some 1950s classics such as Johnny Angel. Phillips used a classical piece of music from the ballet called Sylvia as inspiration in the creation of the Knight Rider theme. This original piece from the ballet was composed in 1876 by Leo de Lieb and called Marche et Cortege de Bacchus. took inspiration from this piece but gave it a more 80s twist with a futuristic sound and synthetic effect. It was just yet another way to establish Knight Rider as innovative and like being in the future. Knight Rider debuted on September 26, 1982. At this point in the 80s, TV clearly ruled the roost when it came to entertainment and with only three networks, time slots were limited and competition was high. Knight Rider had to go up against some of the biggest shows of all time, including Dallas, Dynasty, The A-Team, and eventually other juggernauts like The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Miami Vice, Who's the Boss, and Murder, She Wrote. Knight Rider was geared toward a certain type of audience who liked that science fiction, futurism, and action adventure. And it didn't necessarily have the widespread appeal of family-friendly shows like Family Ties or The Cosby Show. In its first season, Knight Rider barely cracked the top 50. In the next few seasons, however, things picked up. It wasn't pulling up Dallas or Dynasty numbers, but for NBC... They hadn't had a hit like it in a long time. Knight Rider was finishing in the top 30 shows with ratings averaging around 14 million viewers. Today, that would make it the number one show by far. But when you consider that shows like Dallas were still attracting at least 20 million viewers, and eventually shows like The Cosby Show would get to the 30 million viewer mark, shows like Knight Rider just needed to keep stable in the ratings. Airing on Friday nights and going up against Dallas probably didn't help, but it still held its own. The early 80s was a tough time to find an audience against already established shows. VCRs were not yet common in most homes and most people watched everything live. 
And with only a limited number of time slots in prime time, it was difficult to make a splash. Season 2 of Knight Rider moved to the night you may remember it from, Sunday. Again, another way to avoid the mammoth weekday shows despite still having to deal with 60 minutes. But not surprisingly, Knight Rider was a huge hit with kids and would end up being more financially successful than a majority of the big shows because of something those shows couldn't compete with. Merchandising. Burning key cards introduces the Knight Rider. Your key to a new kind of speed. Knight Rider Burning Key Card. Now a Burning Key Card captures the spirit of the Knight Rider. It's fast. Knight Rider Burning Key Card. With speed you can barely see. It's awesome. You control it with your key. It's fearsome. No offense to Dallas, but I think most kids would probably opt for a Knight Rider toy car than an action figure of Larry Hagman as J.R. Ewing. No offense if you had that action figure. But Knight Rider was tailor-made for merchandising, and Glenn Larson had the foresight to see what a gold mine he had on his hands. Knight Rider was a franchise that would naturally appeal to kids, even if they weren't watching. I had a Knight Rider lunchbox and thermos, and it was my pride and joy. There were Knight Rider bedsheets, t-shirts, comic books, board games, and posters. And then there were the toy cars. Toy cars have always been one of the best-selling toys of all time, and again, nothing was cooler than Kit. There were Kit Hot Wheels, a Kit Big Wheel, key cars, play sets, many various scale model versions, even a transforming version. This was all possible because Larson was able to negotiate to get a huge percentage of the merchandising rights. This was still not a big thing at the time, especially for a TV show. And again, this is 1982, and a lot of big toys of the 80s hadn't made their impact quite yet. G.I. Joe had just come out, but the cartoon show that really propelled the brand didn't debut until September 1983. And I have a previous show all about G.I. Joe, if you want to go check that out. It was the same thing with He-Man. And it wouldn't be until 1984 that the Transformers and Rainbow Bright cartoon series were released. Star Wars, of course, had been a huge success toy-wise, but the idea of merchandising a TV show was pretty much a newer idea. And Knight Rider got a big jump on many of these iconic toy franchises. Universal definitely didn't know how profitable merchandising was, and they reportedly agreed to a 50-50 split on profits with Larson for all products sold. A deal even close to that today would be unheard of. But like George Lucas did with his merchandising rights for Star Wars, Larson had the foresight to know what was coming. As the show continued on, and to keep things fresh, George Barris designed newer and various versions of Kit to be used during specific types of shots. By the time the third season rolled around, he started making some big upgrades to Kit, including some spoilers, wings, a new hood scoop, and other new functional additions. New competition in the toy market was vying for kids' attention, and Kit needed some overhauling in order to keep up. But Kit wasn't the only sentient vehicle featured on the show. Another car that acted as a character, an adversary to Kit, was Car. 
K-A-R-R, which was like the evil twin of Kit and stood for Knight Automated Roving Robot. Every good hero needs an adversary, and Carr would be that antagonist. I see. It is the inferior production line. Copy. I heard that car, and you haven't seen anything yet. In the show, the story behind Car was that it was initially created by Wilton Knight as a prototype for what would eventually become Kit. But when they added in the CPU, the programming inadvertently made Car dangerous, and the vehicle was placed on the back burner. After the death of Wilton Knight, Carr was forgotten about until one night when thieves break in, accidentally activating Carr, creating an adversary for Kit. Whereas Kit was about serving others and protecting human life, Carr was all about self-preservation. Carr first appeared in Season 1 and was voiced by none other than Optimus Prime himself, the great Peter Cullen. In Season 3, Carr was voiced by Paul Fries, who you may know as Boris from Rocky and Bullwinkle. And if you're a Rankin-Bass fan, Fries was the voice of Burgermeister Meisterburger in Santa Claus is Coming to Town and was also Jack Frost. In fact, Fries was a Rankin-Bass staple, appearing in 18 different productions. And to really cement his iconicness, Fries was the voice of the Pillsbury Doughboy. Another significant vehicle featured in Knight Rider was Goliath, basically a fully armored semi-tractor trailer, a less friendly Optimus Prime, if you will. Goliath was created and driven by Garth Knight, the evil son of Wilton. Garth, including his look, was who the current Michael Knight was based on and served as his own evil twin, meaning Garth was also played by Hasselhoff with the addition of basically a stick-on mustache to differentiate the two. In Season 4, Kit got a full-on makeover after nearly being destroyed in an episode I definitely didn't cry during. This time, however, Kit was getting into transforming territory that gave it a new appearance and performance. But by this point, with so much more competition in the children's cartoon and toy market, it looked as if the show had run its course. The show finished its run on April 4th, 1986. But Knight Rider definitely did not go quietly away into the um, night. It was a massive syndication hit around the world. And the series we love from the 80s has come back more times than you may realize. Here are some of the different iterations of Knight Rider over the years. Knight Rider 2000 was a made-for-TV movie from 1991 based on the original series, so it could be considered canon. But now, Kit was a Red Dodge Stealth, and David Hasselhoff was more focused on Baywatch. Knight Rider 2010 came out in 1994, and I do not remember this. It was another made-for-TV movie, loosely based on the original series, with more of a Mad Max feel to it. Team Knight Rider ran from one season from 1997 to 1998, and is about a new team that resembles Flag. It didn't do too well. Then there was Knight Rider, a 2008 made-for-TV movie used to introduce a new Knight Rider series, which is known as a backdoor pilot. In this movie, 
Kit becomes a Ford Mustang Shelby GT500KR voiced by Val Kilmer. It has more connections to the original Knight Rider, features the estranged son of Michael Knight, and ignores everything from Knight Rider 2010 and Team Knight Rider. It had decent ratings, but was panned by critics. A Knight Rider weekly series was released, but only lasted 17 episodes. And then there are the many, many talks of future reboots of a potential new Knight Rider movie or TV series that have included everyone from Ben Affleck to Orlando Bloom, Chris Pratt, and even Danny McBride in the role of Michael Knight. Will we see a new version of Knight Rider in the near future? Honestly, probably yes, as nostalgia, specifically 80s culture, is extremely lucrative. Whether it's Stranger Things, Top Gun, Ghostbusters, Star Wars content, Cobra Kai, and modern Ninja Turtles, Transformers, and G.I. Joe movies and TV shows, 80s culture continues to drive a lot of our current entertainment. And that's just naming a handful of those 80s properties. Knight Rider feels like it would be a natural fit for a series on a streaming platform, but we'll just have to wait and see. Despite its relatively short run, the original Knight Rider explored some simple but relevant themes that still ring true today. Knight Rider looked at the world of rapidly advancing technology and how it was sometimes hard to know which was beneficial and which may be harmful. Knight Rider examined how technology can, of course, be used for good and evil purposes, and that as great as our technological advancements can be, Sometimes we need to pump the brakes a little and get a true grasp on what we've created. This is something Jurassic Park would succinctly explore years later. And along with that, Knight Rider explores the relationship we have with technology and how reliant we have become on it. Again, much more relevant today than it was back in 1982. Today, we kind of have Kit in the form of self-driving Teslas, but do our desires to push technology to the limits come too quickly. This is something that was explored really well through the character of Max Headroom in his shows and movies. Knight Rider reminds us that all our technology is still made by humans and can contain flaws. It doesn't replace genuine human connection, and in the case of Kit, no matter how human it seemed, it was still a CPU on four wheels. Michael relied on Kit so much that it was easy to forget that if it had its memory crash or somehow lost all its tires, it was just a giant lump of metal that couldn't offer a lot. Was this warning us of the situation we now find ourselves in as our reliance on technology is something that people back in 82 could probably never even imagine? Or is this just something that every era goes through when new advancements are made? Knight Rider made for the perfect TV series during the 80s. It combined technology, action, drama, an iconic theme song, and the sweetest car we had ever seen. It was unique in how cinematic it was and gave the feel of watching something that seemed bigger than a TV show. To me, Knight Rider always had a bit of a Blade Runner feel to it and was a genuine thrill to watch each week. It just felt special and like it was made for me in that it featured everything I found fascinating at the time. I could not have been at a better age to be completely enamored with this show, and you may have had the same experience. And the pop culture legacy is undeniable. Knight Rider has been referenced in more modern shows, video games, commercials, and future toy releases than we can count. 
And that's why Knight Rider remains an absolutely definitive part of the 1980s. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from. So go ahead and dive back into my earlier episodes. There's plenty there to keep you going. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. And while I've got you busy working on that, you can do me a solid and leave a five-star rating and review. That not only helps out the show, but allows other people to travel back to the 80s with us. And if you're in a position to support the show, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to bonus audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I've just released a new movie, 1988's Cocktail Starring Tom Cruise. I cover a lot of interesting things, including the other actors originally up for the role, the importance of the iconic soundtrack, and how Tom Cruise actually saved Elizabeth Shue's life during filming. If you want to check that out or learn more about Patreon, you can just head to patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80S or click on the link in the description. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. Bye.